So I think about worship. I think about uh, men and women who served in the armed forces and who are serving in the armed forces now. And they understand battles. They understand warfare. And here's what we know about war. War is dangerous, but war is also deadly. I think about the 70s and 80s in the Southern Baptist Convention. There was another battle that we were dealing with, and that battle was over the Bible. Did we believe as Southern Baptists the Bible is true? Did we believe the Bible is authoritative? And as we understand that battle, it was a hill worth dying on. And as we came to that point as the Southern Baptist Convention, as we had our conversations and battles over that, we came to a place as a convention, 70s and 80s, where we had a strong stand and we said this, we believe God's Word is true and we believe God's Word is authoritative. We believe God's Word is inerrant and God's Word is infallible. We are a people of the book. Again, it was a hill worth dying on. It was a battle that we needed to have. And then you come to the, to, to the 90s and even into the 2000s. We found ourselves in another battle, and this battle was over worship. Now, the battle wasn't over whether we to worship or not. We agreed about we're going to worship the Lord because he's worthy to be worshiped, and he's called us to do that. But here's what the battle was over. The battle was over the style of worship. Are we going to be contemporary? Are we going to be traditional? Are we going to be blended? Who are we going to be as a church when it comes to worship style? And, and you might say, where do you stand on that? And I'm glad you ask. And as I think about contemporary, traditional, blended, and where do I stand on that? I would say here are two statements I would give you to that. And here's where I stand. The first statement is this. It's important in worship to be biblical. It's essential. It's imperative. The second statement I would make when it comes to worship style, it's imperative. It's important. It's critical that we be united. And so when I come to different styles, whether it be contemporary or traditional or blended, I look at many of the contemporary songs it's not I like this or I don't like this, but I think about many of the contemporary songs. God has used those songs in my life to minister to me, and God has used those songs to help me worship, adore, and exalt Him. God's done that through many of the contemporary songs. But then I come at the same time with traditional songs, hymns like many of those we did this morning, it's not I like this and I don't like this, but God has used many of those traditional hymns in my life to minister to me at a very specific time in my walk with Him. But God has also used those hymns in my life to usher me into His presence and to help me to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so when it comes to worship style, as a church, it's not so much are we going to be contemporary, blended, traditional. Are we going to be biblical, faithful to God's word, and are we going to be united as the people of God? Because we used a term back in the back in the 90s and the 2000s, and there was a term, worship wars. And when I would hear that term, I would say, oh, God, help us. That we would have a war among your people about the style of worship because worship is not just about style. God, it's about you. If there's anything we should be biblical about, anything we should be united about, it is our response to a holy, faithful, gracious God that we would worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
Now, through this worship stuff that we're talking about over worship style, there are many casualties that have happened over the years because of that. And here's what I know because I've walked through it in pastoral ministry. There, there have been people who, as brothers and sisters in Christ, they get at odds with one another over worship style. As a result of that, they no longer speak to one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus. There are churches that get divided and even split over the style of worship. So one group leaves and they start another church somewhere else. And then there are pastors who are leading the people of God, called to that assignment. They get so frustrated and overwhelmed with the battles that are going on over worship style. They look at it and say, I'm walking away from this assignment or I'm just walking away from ministry altogether. And then in the midst of that, you've got people who are outside of a relationship with Christ who are lost, and they're watching the people of God. They're watching you and me. And they're watching the people of God, and what do they see to say? If they can't get along and they're disagreeing even over the style of music and worship, then do I really want to follow Jesus, and do I really want to be a part of the church? If they can't get along, why would I want to be a part of that? happened so many times but here's the big question that I want to ask us today as we think about this message from John chapter 4 not not how we would define worship which we're going to talk more about that here in just a moment but what does Jesus think about worship as well he's going to have some comments about here are the type of worshipers the father is seeking and it's those who worship the father Understand the context. Those who worship the Father, they don't worship a style of music. They don't worship a facility or a building. They don't worship pleasure or people or even the past. They worship the Father. He is worthy to be worshipped. And Jesus is going to have a word about that. Now, as I think about this, I think about a couple of things that I've been able to see over the weekend and and I think about Commonwealth Stadium, the Cats uh, won again yesterday, so it's a good day when, when that happens. I think about Neyland Stadium, the Tennessee Vols. I want to make sure I'm fair with everybody here in the room. And so they won big yesterday as well. Uh, when Angie and I lived in Tallahassee, we were at Doak Campbell Stadium just about pretty much every Saturday they were in town playing. We were there. And so whether you're in Commonwealth Stadium, Neyland Stadium, or you're in Doak Campbell Stadium, or you fill in the stadium, wherever it may be, there's going to be passion in that stadium. And here's what we've been able to see firsthand, even in Doak Campbell Stadium. If your team is winning, there is incredible passion in that stadium. But if your team starts losing, guess what? There is incredible passion in that stadium. It just takes a different turn. It sounds different, in the middle, but passion is still there. Folks, there are people, their lives get totally turned upside down when their team loses. I mean, they can't even hardly function when they lose. And so I think about those college football games. We can say basketball the same, but all this passion that's going on in these sports. But I come to a worship gathering like today, or you think about worship gatherings in the past. Are we passionate about worshiping Almighty God when my passion is to please God? Are we passionate about that? 
We were in South Asia just a few weeks ago. One of the things that we saw in these churches, uh, nothing elaborate like what we have facility-wise, but they'd be filled with people. They're all sitting on the floor. There are kids, there are youth, there are adults of various ages, all of them sitting on the floor. But here's what you notice. They're incredibly passionate about worship. They're singing the songs. They don't have any hymn books. There are no projection screens. They've memorized the songs. They know the songs. All of them are participating. When it comes to the preaching of the Word, they're all engaged in the preaching of God's Word. They're fellowshipping with one another. They are passionate about worship as God's people. But what about passion for you and me? Here's something that just breaks my heart as a pastor. I've heard it. I've seen it. When I think about them in South Asia, they're singing and they're listening to God's Word and responding to God's Word. I've had people say to me, over the years as a pastor, say to me, I sing contemporary songs, but I don't sing traditional songs. I don't do that. I've had people say to me, I sing traditional songs, but I don't sing contemporary songs. Somewhere we've got to say, God, worship is about you. And if we're singing a contemporary song, God, I'm going to sing and praise you. And God, if we're singing a traditional hymn, I'm going to sing and praise you. I want to make sure, again, worship is biblical and united. And so, God, we're, we're coming to participate. My passion is to please you. And, God, I want you to be honored in my participation today. I had a meeting one day with a, with, a, with a church leader, not of our church, and another church, and I knew that church was going through some controversy and some challenges. And I knew that they were looking maybe to say, we're going to leave this church and go somewhere else. I knew some of the story. And this particular leader made an appointment with my assistant. He comes in, sits down in my study, and we have a conversation. I'm familiar with what's going on. We talk about that a little bit. Finally, after a while, we're sitting there, and he's sitting in front of me, and he reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out a piece of paper, and he throws the piece of paper on my desk. And he says this, we're thinking about maybe leaving where we are, a group of us, and we're thinking about coming here and worshiping with you. And we appreciate you as a pastor, and we're thinking about coming. And he said, I want you to look at that note. And so I opened the note, and it had all these songs listed on the note. And I said, there's some great songs there. And he said, I want you to know if our group leaves where we are, and we come here to sit under your pastoral ministry, these are the songs that we sing. Lord Jesus, help me now. And so I said to him, I said, oh, those are great songs. I mean, I, we would sing many of those songs here on a Sunday, but brother, you have to realize we're going to sing many other songs other than these. Everyone is welcome, but is this the right fit? I could share more of that story with you, but, but I just want to make sure when it comes to worship, church, let's be biblical. What we sing, what we do matters. Be faithful to God in his word. When it comes to worship, let's be united. Let's not be divided over a worship style. Let's be united. We, we're pushing back lostness. There are lost people who need the gospel. And we need to be together in worshiping Almighty God because when worship happens, gospel conversations happen. When worship happens, gospel conversations happen. Then guess what? People get saved. They get set free. Their lives get changed now and for all eternity. 
That's why our gathering makes all the difference in the world. That's why I can't wait to gather with you as a church Sundays, Wednesdays, other times. Praise God for the people of God. We get to come together. I want you to walk through this outline with me here for a minute because when I think about we come together as a church to worship, when we come together as a church to worship, here's what we're doing. We're exalting the Lord. Lord, we lift you up, high and exalted and lifted up. When we come together as a church, what are we doing? We are edifying God's people. We're building one another up in the faith. When we come together as a people of God, we are evangelizing those who don't know Christ because they need to see us loving the Lord together. It's life-changing for them. We, we may not agree about everything, but we agree that we're going to worship God, love one another, share Jesus, make disciples, and we're gonna, we're gonna, God's going to use us to make a difference in the lives of people. And so the question comes up today, is, is our worship, is our participation pleasing unto God or not? I could give you several verses, and let me just give you a few of these. When I think about this, and this again, it, when my passion is to please God, in Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 10, what does he say there? He says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Folks, do we know what pleases him? If we know what pleases God, then we need to be doing that. Let me give you another one out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul writing to a group of believers, what does he say? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So as we gather this morning, singing songs, fellowshipping together, giving tithes and offerings, listening to God's word, responding to God's word, are we doing so for the glory of God? And then Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians, he makes this statement here, a passage we use at funerals a lot. He says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we had rather be away from the body than the home of the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So, so when we go to heaven, we're going to please him, but on this earth, let's please him. And so let's make sure today as we gather and worship that our Heavenly Father is pleased. Now, look at your outline with me. Number one, refuse to limit the location of worship. What happens when we limit the location of worship? Then worship becomes about us. And I've heard people say, you know, I'll give God an hour a week. And you say, really? I mean, that, that's your perspective on life. You're going to give an hour a week, and you're saying you're going to use the other 167 hours on yourself. If you and I confine worship to a location or to a style or to a time and we say, God, I'll give you an hour a week, but the other 167 hours are mine, that is a selfish way to live life. Because I don't want to give God just an hour a week. I want worship not to merely be about a location. I want it to be about a lifestyle. I want to worship God every day of my life. Not just on Sunday mornings at 1030. God, I want my life to be about worshiping you. So it's not just limited to a location. It's not just limited to a time. It's not just limited to a style. God, my life, redeemed, born again, is about Jesus. It's about him. So what does Jesus? Gets in this conversation with the Samaritan woman. So look at number one, just an engaging topic here. As you see on your outline, an engaging topic. Jesus is going to interact with the Samaritan woman, and here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to be relational to her, and Jesus is going to be conversational with her. 
that's his life. He's, he's tired. He's weary from this journey. He's sitting down, and he's going to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman, which was unusual, to say the least. But he's relational, and he's conversational. And Jesus gets in a conversation with her about water. He starts talking about relationships. And then she changes the conversation to talk about worship. And she's talking about worship as defining that by a location. And so here's what she comes along and she says. She said, go call your husband. I have no husband. You are right in saying that I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband, and what you said is true. The woman said to him, I perceive you are a prophet. That's a good, good word. And then she said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place to worship where people ought to worship. She's limiting worship to a location. It's an engaging topic, an engaging conversation. And so what happens is when we limit worship to a location, to a time or to a style, then worship oftentimes becomes about us. This is what I like. This is what I know. This is what I prefer. And so Jesus is engaging her in a conversation about water, about her relationships, but now it's going to be about worship. Look at number two, it's an inspiring answer because in this conversation, Jesus hears what she's saying. Then Jesus comes along and here's what he says this, but Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. Uh, whatever he says, we're going to believe because what he says is true. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will, will you worship the Father. Again, worship is the Father. It's not about a location. You're not worshiping a style. You're not worshiping a time. You're worshiping the Father. He says, you're going to worship the Father. You will worship what you know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Jesus is speaking incredible insight about worship. Now, as you and I think about that, you think about, again, we can't confine worship to a location. Here's what I would challenge us as a church. May you and I never, never limit God to a comfortable box in life. But because when you think about worship, he's saying you can't limit worship to a mountain or to Jerusalem. Why? Because you can't limit God to a mountain or to Jerusalem. I mean, God is everywhere. And so as you think about worshiping God, he is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is everywhere. He is all-powerful. You can't limit a holy, righteous God. So you can't limit worship to those things. And the good news is when you and I think about who we are in Christ, you and I don't merely come to church. You and I are the church. This building is not the church. This is where we gather. This is where we meet at. This is where we worship together at. You and I, those who are born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you and me, we are the church in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I don't just come here to worship. You and I come here on Sundays, Wednesdays, other times, worshiping God already. We've been preparing, sharing our hearts with him, having conversations with him. We come worshiping already. We are not to confine worship to a location. But here's what happens in this debate about worship and worship style. We oftentimes, when we come with this consumeristic attitude about worship, here's what we say. Understand this. We understand, we say, well, uh, you are the audience. And we say, those who are on the platform are the performers. And then the pastor and the worship leader, they are the prompters. So you're the audience. Those on the platform are the performers. John, Mark, and myself are the prompters. We're leading you in worship. That is a consumeristic mindset of worship. 
Here's a biblical understanding of worship. And that's where Jesus is talking about. You are to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Here is a biblical understanding of worship using those same words. Here it is. The audience is Almighty God himself. We worship for an audience of one. Is he pleased with our worship? The performers, that's you and that's us. We're all performers. We're all participants. We're all engaged in worship. But here's the good news. The prompter is not John, Mark, and myself. The prompter is the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. That's the prom- He's the prompter. He's leading us to worship our Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth. So the audience is God. You and I are the performers because we are participants. And the Holy Spirit, He is the prompter. And He's leading us to worship God in spirit and in truth. So so as you look at this text, again, I would just encourage us, refuse to limit the location of worship. Number two, commit to understand the privilege of worship. As you and I think about living life in the United States, there are so many privileges for us. I mean, you think about privileges, we get, we get to drive a car. Uh, many people around the world have no idea what that's like. Uh, we get to get a great education. You've you got so many educational choices. We get to experience that. We, we have the opportunity to vote, the privilege of doing that. All those things are great blessings for us that many people around the world know nothing about. But here's the good news. We get the privilege of coming and worshiping our Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth. Look at number one, personal need. Jesus interacting with this lady and realizes this lady has needs in her life. Jesus is not pushing her away. Jesus is not saying, I don't have time for you. Jesus is not saying, I need to rest so I don't have the capacity to listen to what you're saying. He's engaging her in a conversation. Jesus is concerned about her life and her needs in life. As you and I gather this morning with the people of God, as you worship wherever you are around the world, there are needs in this room, needs from those who are watching online. Here's what we know. There are physical needs in this room. There are relational needs in this room. There are financial needs in this room. There are mental needs in this room. There are spiritual needs in this room. And when you come to Almighty God, He is interested in every aspect of your life. And so He's not too busy. He's not preoccupied. He wants to meet you at your point of need in your life. Jesus is interacting with a Samaritan woman, having a conversation with her about her needs in life. Look at number two, God's desire. What is the desire of God? What pleases God? What is God seeking in life anyway? I've given you two things. One's lost people. You're going to look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man come to seek and to save those who are lost. He is seeking people who are lost. When I was dead in my transgressions and sins, God was seeking me that I would be saved. The Son of Man left heaven and came to this earth and lived a perfect sinless life and died on Calvary's cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. Jesus Christ is alive. He did that because he came to seek and to save those who are lost, not directionally challenged, those who are dead in their transgressions and sins. If you don't know Christ, you're dead. But the good news is you can be alive in Christ before this service is over. That is how amazing the grace of God is. And so he is seeking lost people. Number two, he's seeking true worshipers. That's what Jesus says, this Samaritan woman. The Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
He is seeking those things. So as you think about the heart of God, if we're going to be like him, then we need to be seeking lost people because lost people matter to God. And we need to be true worshipers because God is seeking true worshipers. They matter to him. Let's be true worshipers who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so when you look at the privilege at one, you just don't confine, limit worship to a location. But number two, you recognize and understand the privilege of worship. Number three, strive to maintain the heart of worship. What is the heart of worship? Is it style? Is it location? Is it time? What is the heart of worship? You know, life is troubling when it gets out of balance. When you have extreme highs and extreme lows, we all have those in life, but somewhere you want to make sure you try to find balance in life. Not so high, not so low, but balance. I mean, many of you ride roller coasters. Many of you can't stand roller coasters. But roller coasters will get your life out of balance. Why? Because you're high, you're low, you're twisting, all these things in your life. We don't want worship to be like a roller coaster. But you also have to be careful that when you look at understanding worship, the heart of worship, that worship doesn't become in a rut either in life. You want to make sure you worship the Father, spirit and in truth. I was pastoring a church one time. Loved the people of God. They loved us. But over the sense, we just sensed the Holy Spirit leading us to understand worship this way. We had got in a, a rut in worship. We still wanted to worship God, but it became very predictable, and it just, just it was the same week in and week out. We just sensed the Holy Spirit of God leading us to make some worship changes. We adjusted things around, and there was just this freshness in the heart of God that came to that. We even changed the offering. We took the offering up at the beginning of the service. And we just changed things around, not just to be changing something, but we didn't want to be in a, a worship rut. We wanted freshness in our heart to God. Our, our offerings went through the roof when we did that. Just be careful about a roller coaster. Be careful about a rut. You've got to realize you maintain the heart of worship. Look at this, two essentials. When you look at this text in Jesus, this conversation with the Samaritan woman, two essentials in worship. What are the two essentials in worship? Is it hymn book and organ? No. Is it contemporary songs and projection screens? No. The two essentials in biblical worship, in unified worship, is the Father is seeking true worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And so those are the two essentials. Here are the two of that. One is heart. Uh, we got to make sure the heart is right when we gather as the people of God to worship. And here's what I mean by that. When we worship in spirit, there ought to be celebration in our worship gatherings. There ought to be passion in our worship gatherings. And you say, well, why should we be celebrated? Why should there be passion in our worship gatherings? Here's why. We don't gather on a Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or any time during the week. We don't gather to mourn a guy who's dead. We come to celebrate a, a one who is victorious over death in the grave. Jesus Christ is alive. We celebrate him. And so we're not here mourning somebody who's dead. We're celebrating a Savior who is victorious for you and me. We have victory in Jesus. So that's the heart. Second word is head. Yes, we ought to come preaching, proclaiming, singing gospel, biblical truth. We should be biblical and united because the heart matters and the head matters. Worship me in spirit and in truth. Then number two, clear evidence. How will we know if we've worshiped God or not? How do we know that? I've given you three things here. Number one, change lives. 
The truth of the matter is, as you know this, you and I cannot experience, you and I cannot encounter a holy, all-powerful, righteous God and stay the same. How is your worship, how is Almighty God changing your life? Because if you're worshiping Him in spirit and truth, your life is changing. If we worship God in spirit and truth as a church, our church is changing, and that is to the glory of God that that's happening because change lies an indication that worship is happening. Number two, hearts to serve. When you and I worship and experience God, we have hearts to serve. God, I want to serve you in my family. God, I want to serve you in my office. I want to serve you in my school. God, I want to serve you in my church. Because obedience is an indicator of worship. And God, one of the ways we obey you is we serve you. So there are changed lives. There's hearts to serve. And number three, there's just a deeper understanding of God. God, I know you deeper. I know you more intimate. And God, worship is changing my life, changing my marriage, changing our family, changing our church. God, worship is doing that in spirit and truth because you are the heart of worship. We're going to walk out of here in just in a few minutes. Here's oftentimes what happens. We, we pray for the service, for our gathering to be life-changing. And here's what we would love for people to walk out today and say, what an amazing day of worship. And understand this next statement. It has nothing to do with the style of songs we did this morning. It has nothing to do with the sermon per se. But God, it has everything to do with how great and amazing you are because you are the heart of worship. It's God. I made a hospital visit two or three weeks ago in Nashville. Uh, dear members of our church walked into their hospital room, husband and wife in a room, and, and we talked a little bit about what was going on with them, how I could pray for them, those type things. And then they, they shared some encouraging words, and, and I, I thanked them for their encouragement to me as their pastor. And, and then here's what they said. They said, you know, a lot of the new music that we're doing at church, uh, we just have a difficult time singing those songs. And I said, I appreciate you saying that. And then he went on to say, just in full transparency, we had difficulty singing the old songs as well. We just have difficult time singing. I said, well, I appreciate your honesty and transparency about that. But then he said this. He said, but you know, as I look around our church on Sunday mornings, here's what I am excited about. I am excited to see so many different age groups in the fellowship of our church. I look around, I see kids, I see students, I see young adults, I see adults our age. And his dear brother in Christ, his wife there in the bed said, if I looked around and I just saw older people like us, I would be really sad. And he said, that would be an indication to me that our church is dying. But he said, I look around, I think, God, you've given life to our church because I see people of all ages in our church. And, and I may not be able to sing any of the songs, but I praise God for what he's doing in our church. And I told him, I said, I don't know if I've ministered to you today or not, but I'm walking out of the hospital room because you have ministered to me. Spirit and truth. And when we talk about worship, people get saved, lives changed, hearts serve, and we grow deeper in our understanding of God. So where do I stand?
traditional, contemporary, blended. Uh, Ephesians 5.19 says, you do what? You sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I think that covers all those right there. Let's be biblical. Let's be united. Let's worship him in spirit and truth. And let's make sure he is pleased and all the glory goes to him. That's the heart of it. That's the heart of worship. Let's bow together as we pray. And I want to encourage you today, if you're in the room or you're watching and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout this message, we've talked about the way to be saved and his name is Jesus. And we've talked about him leaving heaven and coming to this earth. We've talked about his perfect sinless life. We've talked about his death on a cross, his burial in a tomb, but his resurrection from the grave. We're not mourning him today. We're celebrating him today. And today can be the day of salvation for you in the room or those who are watching. If you need to come forward today, you need to respond to us. Our pastoral team is going to be here. You can respond to us even online. We would love to see you come to Jesus today. The Samaritan woman experienced Jesus. She told others. They came to him as well. Give your life to Christ today. You need to be baptized in obedience to him. Follow him. Again, obey him. That's the heart of worship, obeying Christ in life. You need to join a fellowship of our church because we want to be biblical and we want to be united. We'd love to have you to be a part of our church family. God's working in your life and, and you need to make sure you're worshiping him in spirit and in truth. God's calling you into ministry and you want to say yes to him. God's leading you to have gospel conversations. You want us to pray with you about those conversations. The invitation is to come to Christ and let him minister to you in the midst of that. When my passion is to please God. So, Lord, today we're coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's not about location. It's not about style. Not even about time. God, it's about you. And, God, I pray you would be pleased with our worship because we desire to be true worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. And, Lord, we have no apology inviting people to come to Jesus this morning, today. Surrender their lives to him. Experience grace, mercy, forgiveness, new life, new direction in him. And God, help us as a church to be biblical and united. And that will be pleasing unto you. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for the heart of worship. And Lord Jesus, it's you. We love you and adore you. And we run to you in this invitation. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.